Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome. This is the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth from an old ice cream trailer somewhere in the woods of western Wisconsin. Soon to be moving the headquarters to North Africa in a perhaps slightly less undisclosed location. Meanwhile, tonight we're going to be talking about the usual witch's brew of controversial topics. In the second hour, physics professor Mujahid Kamran comes on all the way from Pakistan to discuss his new articles on usurious moneylenders and assassinations in history. And he also wrote about Napoleon and Islam. And, of course, one of those assassinations involving usurious moneylenders was the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And then a few years later, his brother, Robert, whose son is now actually topping the polls in favorability ratings of mainstream candidates. So we'll talk about all of that stuff and about RFK Jr.'s disgusting Zionist Hasbro propaganda tweets, uh, among other things, but my first hour guest, Jim Fetzer, is the guy who gave me a start in talk radio by calling me in to sub for him when he was or interviewing a guy named John Kaminsky, and that was quite the uh, trial by fire as I got on with Kaminsky, and within about 20 minutes, Kaminsky started ranting and raving about the evil of the Jews, and not being uh, quite <laughs> as of that mind as he was. I pushed back a little. It was very exciting radio. And I got hooked, and I have been doing uh, controversial talk radio ever since, thanks to Jim Fetzer. And Jim talked to me earlier this week about uh, discussing Trump and his indictment, and we both agree that it looks pretty bogus. It looks like these folks just want to keep Trump out of the Oval Office. Jim's got all the details, so let's bring him on and hear them. Hey, welcome, Jim Fetzer. How's it going, Jim? Oh, Kevin, I'm just delighted to be with you. You've been such a sensation. I'm very proud for having a role in getting you into talk radio, my friend. Very proud. Well, you had the lead role. If you hadn't called me up that time, you had to do something else and got me on there with Kaminsky. Who knows? I probably never would have done RBN and GCN and WTPRN and, and whatever else all those networks were that we used to be on. Uh, and now, of course, Revolution Radio, the greatest of listener-sponsored truth networks. Uh, so you're still doing Revolution Radio, right? I am indeed. I am indeed. Monday, Wednesday, Friday from... Uh... Noon to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Kevin, and enjoying it a lot. I had a, you would have enjoyed this. Richard Gage was my guest today, and we had a wonderful conversation, which you might not have predicted, all things considered, but it was really excellent. 
I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, Richard has kind of loosened up a little bit since he left the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. I can imagine. Did you guys talk about your different views of the modalities of the destruction of the World Trade Center? We did. I mean, uh, I was so delighted that he has broadened his scope to not talk only about Building 7, but also about the World Trade Center. He even had some mention about planes. We talked a little bit about it, not very much, but it was extremely cordial. And I laid out some of the reasons why I'm a bit of a skeptic of nanothermite when it comes to the Twin Towers. But but Kevin, he was acknowledging nanothermite cannot have been the sole explanation that it required other sources of great energy to bring about the effects that were observed. I was very pleased. Hey, that's great. Yeah, he, he kind of used to go halfway there sometimes with me, but I'm, I'm glad he's opened up about that. And I, I have to agree with you about that, Jim. I think that the amount of nanothermite that would be necessary to even come close to doing what we saw, that is blowing these buildings to kingdom come and reducing much of them to sub-100 micron talcum powder-like dust, uh, obviously nanothermite, which would basically be cutter charges slicing through the steel to bring the buildings down, could not blast them into talcum powder that way. Exactly. That's exactly right. And uh, it was refreshing, Kevin. He had a, we, we did a Skype screen share. We did a Skype video. And he gave a presentation with excellent slides. And uh, we talked about our similarities and our differences, and it was about as cordial and collegial as it could possibly have been. All right. Well, that's good news. I think it's it's always best to be able to get along with people well enough to have reasonable discussions with them. Unfortunately, the people who are really opposed to us, the people who try to defend the government's version of what happened on 9-11, are usually unwilling to have that discussion for pretty obvious reasons. And, you know, another topic that we, we've, you and I have actually been kind of uncollegial on on a couple of occasions, or at least I have, was, uh, Donald Trump. I remember when, when Trump was first running and he came out with that Muslim ban thing while I was in Paris doing that conference on Islamophobia with a bunch of wimpy liberals. I, I remember fighting with you, uh, and, and, uh, speaking, uh, rather harshly to you on False Fight Weekly News. So I apologize for that. And I'll admit that you were sort of half right. That is, Trump may be a completely loose cannon. I don't think he's particularly competent. Uh, I'm not even sure his heart is all that much in the right place. But it is to some extent. I think, as Tucker Carlson just said, Trump wants to end the endless wars. And I can forgive him a lot for that. So I'll, I'll have to say you were not entirely off base in being so madly enthusiastic about Trump back then, just as I wasn't entirely off base for being skeptical. Well, I'm still pretty enthusiastic about Trump. Get this statement he made, Kevin. I think you would agree with every word. Now that the seal is broken, in addition to closing the border and removing all of the criminal elements that have illegally invaded our country, making America energy independent and even dominant again, and immediately ending the war between Russia and Ukraine. I will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after the most corrupt president in the history of the USA, Joe Biden, the entire Biden crime family, and all others involved with the destruction of our elections, borders, and country itself. Yeah, I can't really disagree with that. 
On the other hand, though, Jim, the real big dirty secret of the Trump administration was that Trump was inserted into office by the state of Israel. He cut a deal with Israel in the summer of 2016. And once he was in office, he, you know, he, he gave them what he had bargained for. He gave them everything they wanted. Uh, he gave them Jerusalem on a silver platter. He gave them this ridiculous, fake, useless, doomed, destructive, so-called normalization process. So he was completely owned by Israel. And Israel is the single biggest threat to making America great again. Uh, it's, it's the you know, single greatest foreign power threat, uh, foreign power that is occupying and destroying us, that has murdered the pre- uh, two presidents, well, one President Kennedy and his brother who was just about to become president. And now I see a parallel between Trump and RFK Jr. Uh, I was as enthusiastic for RFK Jr. as you were for Trump back in the day, up until a couple of days ago. And then RFK Jr. started drooling and, and, and barking out these rabid pro-Zionist uh, propaganda tweets and, and interviews. And so he basically got eaten alive by the Zionist Antichrist, uh, just like Trump did. And in both cases, I think they realized that the only way they had a, a snowball's chance in proverbial hell of making it to the Oval Office was by making a deal with a Zionist devil. And I think they both have, or at least Trump did. Now, RFK Jr., the jury's still out. Maybe he's playing 3D chess of some kind, and he's going to stab the bad guys in the back once he gets into office like his father was planning to do before they killed him and set up a Palestinian patsy. Um, or maybe RFK Jr. has Stockholm Syndrome. I just put out a post about this. But in either case, both these guys, who profess to be populists, have a lot of good things about them, uh, RFK Jr.'s work on vaccines and so many other things is just fantastic. Trump's got some good good things to say and, and try to do as well. But when they're owned by Israel, the single worst destructive force that's doomed the United States of America, uh, I'm not sure if they're really alternatives. Well, <coughs> I must have missed a memo because, Kevin, I'm unaware of any deal that Trump may, according to you, have made with Israel. He won the election in 2016 because of voters in rural communities who have nothing to do with Israel but wanted a guy who appeared to them to care about America as they knew the alternative did not. And I think that he deserved that election. I do not see him as having thereby become beholden to Israel, but I have most certainly criticized him for the moves he's made in terms of moving the embassy to Jerusalem, declaring the Golan Heights to be a part of Israel, uh, what there's some kind of defunding of the Palestinian uh, assistance organization, and worst of all, of course, assassinating uh, Soleimani, who was a great, uh, not only general, but world statesman by an act of perfidy that is virtually unmatched in our history, which I cannot forgive him. But in spite of his faults, I believe he's the only American political leader who can take us out of this cesspool we're in today where the destruction of America is taking place on a daily basis with a massive influx of military age and physically fit migrants. I believe we actually have an army in waiting coming in where the administration has been purchasing $4 billion in military equipment by non-law enforcement, non-DOD-related agencies, which I believe they have stashed 
in caches around the country. And now, of course, DHS is providing them with cell phones so I can tell them where they can find the equipment and coordinate and cooperate in what I believe are going to be actions, military actions, guerrilla type against America that are in our near future. I also believe, Kevin, that the whole January 6th fantastic scenario, which was fabricated with the FBI, many agents, provocateurs, and the like, was designed specifically to emphasize a concept of domestic terrorists so that they could label all of the groups that are opposed that might take up arms in opposition to a, and a tyrannical government, including militias, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, mega supporters, Trump voters, conservative voices today, even mothers who care about their kids not being exposed to the grotesque, transgender, homosexual, gay, being taught anal sex and masturbation when their children agenda and implement a reign of terror such as followed the Bolshevik Revolution where ordinary citizens who weren't sufficiently enthusiastic about the communists were simply subject to preemptory trial and execution. Check out the film Czechist, which was released in 1991. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I believe a lot of these moves are being made by the administration in the hope that it will provoke a violent response to which they can re reply by imposing martial law and undertaking draconian measures that boggle our mind, but I think are very much in theirs. Well, I, I agree with some of that, uh, not maybe quite all of it. I'm not so sure that the border crossers are as much as a threat as you're making them out to be. Um, but I agree with you that the border should be secured, of course, and that Trump had a much better policy on that than Biden does. Biden's election was a big, uh, uh, come north, folks, uh, border's wide open. <laughs> we'll, we'll take care of you. And if you want to just throw us your kids and let us uh, send them off uh, to uh, sex slave camps, uh, that's fine, too. Uh, yeah, so that you're right. That, that's terrible policy by Biden. But uh, I'm not so sure that all of these Young military-age males are actually coming to do anything military here. I mean, we have, have the example of the past to look at, and these guys, you know, all these people coming through the border, have really not destabilized our society nearly as much as certain people would like us to think. The empirical evidence just doesn't support that. So I, I'm not with you completely on that one, but the rest of it I, I, I mostly am. But I would add that I, I think the reason that there is this crackdown in the possibility of martial law and they're stirring things up to try to provoke the response so they can crush it, just like they did on January 6th. I think the reason for that is that we're moving into World War III. We've actually been in the middle of World War III. I think the opening shot of World War III was the COVID bioattack on China and Iran. You know, COVID and the vaccines were developed simultaneously by the military, and uh, we tried to preemptively destroy China's economy, or at least slow it down, hobble it, with that uh, bioattack on Wuhan. And, of course, the Zionists made sure that we also attacked Iran and killed a whole bunch of their senior leaders. First place it went after, after Wuhan was calm Iran, where there are no Chinese people and where the top Iranian clerics are based. Uh, so I think that was the opening shot of World War III against uh, this Russia-China-Iran alliance. And so we're living in World War III, but it's, it's a covert World War III. The Ukraine battlefront is, is heating up. 
And I think the reason that they want to provoke these kinds of clashes so they can uh, clamp down is that we're in a wartime regime. But it's a stealth wartime regime, so they can't just openly come out and lock up everybody who opposes the war the way they did during World War One and World War Two. And th- this is World War Three, but it's a stealth World War Three so far. So they need to come up with other excuses to ratchet things up to the point that they can actually really clamp down on dissent and go to an all-out war footing. And so I, I think that it's the foreign policy that's driving all of this. Well, I think you would have a hard time disagreeing that the clergy plan, which was to flood Western Europe with migrants from Africa in order to destroy European culture, is being implemented here in the Western Hemisphere with Central and South Americans, but they're coming from many other countries. We know DHS and uh, the UN have a camp in Panama that they're being brought up here in convoys. I've found convoy footage before, which has a Star of David on the doors. We know that if you wanted to destroy a culture, uh, a good way to do it is to take out its monuments to the past, destroy its historical identity, which has been taking place apace with all the removal of the statues the Confederates and so forth that were a recognition of, uh, you know, reconciliation between the North and the South. They've been taking those monuments down on specious grounds of the connection with slavery and so forth, which have been grotesquely exaggerated. We've had our law enforcement apparatus grossly undermined. George Soros played a key role with all these DAs who are creating you know, they're opposed to bail. They're putting criminals back out of the street. In California, it's gone full-blown, where they're really decriminalizing, shoplifting up to approximately $1,000. So you have convoys coming up to stores. I'm talking about very good high-end stores and looting the stores. A new bill in the Senate in California really would not even allow security employees to approach those who are conducting the shoplifting when you put all these elements together with a gross abuse and promotion of the corrupt transgender efforts in the schools, I think you see a master plan that did not just arise spontaneously to destroy American culture. And frankly, Kevin, they're doing a hell of a good job of it. I mean, if this were their goal, they are being remarkably successful. Well, I admit it looks that way, Jim, uh, whether or not, Uh, How many people do you think would actually consciously be aware that pushing all these policies is destroying the culture? I would argue it couldn't be very many. I think the vast, vast majority of these people, including people up in high-level positions, actually believe that they're strengthening the culture because these people are progressives, right? They worship progress. They believe that getting rid of religion, getting rid of tradition, and constantly moving to more and more and more uh, hyper-individual rights and you know, breaking us down, breaking up families, breaking up religious communities, breaking up towns and villages, and you know, busting up communities so that people are atomized individuals who have absolute individual freedom to do whatever they want, even change their sex or have sex with whatever creatures they want and so on and so forth. All, all of that is actually an ideology, and that it's the extreme decadent version of liberalism, which has been, the, you know, liberal progressivism has been the dominant ideology now for really 200 years. And uh, so I, I think these people actually believe in what they're doing. They actually seem to think 
that, you know, just as the, you know, the progressives under Roosevelt, you know, heroically won World War II against these right wing benighted fascist types, you know, and, and that, uh, you know, Woodrow Wilson and his progressivists, you know, won the, the battle of World War I and, and enforced progress on these old fashioned empires and broke them up and things like that. So ideologically, I think they actually believe in what they're doing. And they actually think that all of these things that you and I look at and say, this is crazy. How could they, you know, how could they be doing this? They, they really think they're going to march off to war and win this war with Russia, China, and Iran, which is a pretty formidable combination with a bunch of like transgenders uh, waving the rainbow flag instead of the stars and stripes. I mean, what a joke. But I think they really believe it. Um, so who, who are the people specifically, do you think, that actually uh, are aware that what they're doing is destroying the culture? Oh, I think they include persons like uh, Barack Obama and George Soros and uh, John Brennan and uh, others who are behind the scene operating. I do believe this is ultimately a Rothschild operation. I do think that the contemporary progressives are the useful idiots of the past reincarnated today as part of a party that used to have some viability. I, most of my life, regarded myself as a JFK FDR Democrat because I believe in the social welfare system, including Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, workmen's compensation programs that actually have benefited working men and women. But since Trump arrived on the scene, and as you know, Kevin, I had, in fact, always voted Democrat. It was because I felt they had put up the better candidates. But once Trump arrived on the scene, it was such a clear-cut difference. I could no longer sustain, even though I voted twice for Bill Clinton. I regard, in retrospect, him having done massive damage to NAFTA. Russ Perot was warning us about that giant sucking sound, that really gutted the industrial and manufacturing base of the United States. And Barack Obama has been horrific among his many uh, deleterious acts, of course, was vitiating the Smith-Mund Act of 1948, which precluded the use of the same techniques of propaganda and disinformation within the United States that heretofore had only been allowed without by the Smith-Modernization Act of 2012, which unleashed this flood of staged, fabricated events, the phony shooting beginning with Sandy Hook, where I become so deeply involved, not only with a book that was banned by Amazon less than a month after it went on sale, where I brought together 13 experts, including six PhDs, where we established a school had been closed by 2000 and uh, 2008, that there were no students or teachers there, and that it had been a two-day FEMA drill presented as mass murder to promote gun control. They didn't ban the book because we got it wrong. We even included the FEMA manual for the exercise as an appendix. But since then, in my efforts to get the truth out, I've been further pilloried, and they've done more because I threw them a curveball by releasing the book for free as a PDF. So I was hit with a series of, you know, legal cases that I'm sorry to say reflect the utter incapacity to follow the law, even in the state of Wisconsin, in which I had heretofore believed, all the way up to the Supreme Court, and then the process discovered further confirmatory evidence, including it wasn't even an elementary school. It was a special needs school. It was actually closed in 2006. We even have the 
the Connecticut FEMA announcement with it, the drill at Sandy Hook on the schedule, uh, the map they provided to get to FEMA from Hartford, Connecticut, where the headquarters is located. I mean, it's all stunning stuff. And Jim, Jim, we've, we've argued about this before, so just let me briefly say that I, I'm still not convinced that the school possibly could have been closed without the community But we'll just agree to disagree on that, and I'll respect the fact you've done more work on it than I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to say this is one of the areas where I think you're a slow learner, my friend, <laughs> but I nevertheless. Glad for all the good work you've done on so many other issues. And yes, I'm merely emphasizing the evidence is massive and overwhelming. I could go into detail, but we well, will no, not. We're, we're supposed to be talking about Trump's, Trump's indictment tonight, yeah, mainly. Agreed. Judicial Watch, by the way, you know, Tom Fitton is a very worthy guy, has observed that Judicial Watch, of which he's president, has almost three decades of experience in litigating federal and presidential record issues, has written the indictment, dishonestly ignores the U.S. Constitution, the Presidential Reserves Act, legal precedent, and the DOJ archives' own previous position. That White House records a president takes with him when he leaves a White House are presumptively personal, and not subject to review by partisan Biden appointees at the DOJ or the archives. Kevin, most Americans aren't even aware that up till 1978, all those records of the administration were presumed to belong to the presidents uh, that had presided there for up until 1978, that the Presidential Records Act is not a criminal statute. It really leaves open-ended negotiating with the archives about all these records. And I think Tom Fitton has it actually right when he concludes that if we have a, a judicial judge, a constitutionalist, the case may even be thrown out. And I believe that it's fortuitous this is all taking place in Florida, because Florida at least is going to provide a jury that might be relatively balanced politically and not be inclined to convict him of any crime, no matter how trifling, as would be the case in New York City or in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I, I assume yeah. they're going to try to find some way to change the venue. Like, they'll probably, they may lose in Florida and they may appeal. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm actually with you on this one, Jim. I think that this lawfare against Trump is, is really transparently bogus. It's actually kind of pathetic, and it's moved me, you know, a couple of degrees several degrees, actually, towards being sympathetic with Trump. Like, Trump, one of the things I never particularly liked about Trump was the way that he always makes himself out to be the center of attention and always the guy who's being mistreated. You know, you know, he's, he's got a victimization complex. But the thing is that, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. And now they're proving that they are out to get him, you know, with suspending the statute of limitations so they can go after him with a 20- or 30-year-old rape charge where the woman doesn't even remember which year it happened. And there's no evidence whatsoever to support it. And so they actually suspend the statute of limitations and for a specified period of time purely to bring that case against Trump. That is just insane. And then this this case looks almost as weak. And if Trump were as bad as they tell us, and as bad as I think he probably is, or I used to think he was anyway, I, I would have thought that they could find some really nasty stuff there. That, you know, he hangs out with these New York mobsters, Russian mobsters, uh, Zionist mobsters like his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, one of the worst criminals on the eastern seaboard. They ought to be able to find something on him, but it looks like they can't. 
Yeah, they have a couple of backups. You know, they're holding back on other suits they may bring into play. Even this guy who's responsible, this Jack Smith character, who has a history of carrying cases beyond statutory boundaries. In other words, he's he's been reversed multiple times in the past because his cases are not warranted. He's known as a political hatchet man. When Garrick Garland appointed him, he knew exactly what he was getting. But I believe they have a couple of fallback positions if this doesn't pan out. And I believe it's not going to pan out. You know, the point you make about you would have thought they would have something better on Trump. In my opinion, it's not for lack of searching. They have been combing every file, searching every record, doing every possible thing they can to fight to get him out of the way, which, by the way, I would say is, in my opinion, the strongest proof we have that Trump is not a part of the deep state. He's not a part of the Israeli conduct or control of our Congress, which I oppose as vehemently as do you. For Cynthia, of course, revealed the pledge that all new members of Congress are asked to take a pledge to put their loyalty to Israel ahead of even their loyalty to the United States. Where a dear friend of mine a few years back asked me, did I know how many members of the then current Congress had refused to sign the pledge? And when I acknowledged I did not, he held up one finger of one hand. I think if Trump were all in, who is it? Who refused? Oh, I'll dig up the name. I'll dig up the name. It it was, uh, as I recall, was a black guy, uh, kind of obscure, but he had done the right thing. But the point I'm making, Kevin, is all this seems to me to contradict your belief that he's a creature of Israel. I don't believe he is. I do believe he's smart enough to play the game of keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. I do believe, actually, Trump ultimately wants to clean the rat's nest out of Congress, and that rat's nest is tied together with the Zionist rings and commitments and I mean, they're they're using America right now to destroy Ukraine, to fight against Russia, to save Ukraine for the new Israel, Kevin. I'm convinced that's the agenda, that the present occupants of Israel are not genetic descendants of the tribe of Judah. They're Khazarians. They want to return to their homeland. And they want to, they're happy, I think, to see all these Ukrainians slaughtered by Russia because it just means there's fewer there in the population to deal with when they, in essence, move Israel to Ukraine, to Eastern Europe. I believe that is the master plan. Yeah, a bunch of uh, smart people seem to believe that. I'm not so sure myself. It just seems like, well, maybe, maybe it's a fallback plan, but if they try to do that uh, and and move you know the whole uh, Israeli Jewish population to Ukraine after its population has been massacred by this war, they'd be surrounded by people who were pretty hostile, uh, especially the uh, the Russians, who would be in the commanding position. So it doesn't sound like a real realistic plan to me. But who knows? Certainly, as he had, the way I see it, Jim, is that the reason that we have these rabid Zionists like Victoria Newland leading the charge to start this totally destructive war that's not in America's interests, I, I think that the real reason for that has more to do with the fact that there's this neoconservative school of thought that's taken over American policy. 
and it's a Jewish, uh, it's a Jewish movement, a Jewish political movement, uh, and these uh, leading neocons identify American power with Israeli power, and so they have the same rabid uh, support for extreme militarism and warmongering in the United States as the Zionists do in Israel, right, which keeps on waging wars of genocide and expansion against its, its own people and its neighbors. And so they take that attitude to the United States. They say only the United States can make the world safe for Israel by having a huge and extremely active, violent military running around starting wars all the time, especially against enemies of Israel. So that their ideology is this rabid support of military aggression. And I think as they go after Russia through Ukraine, what they're really doing is trying to keep the U.S. military run by the Zionist banksters, of course, on top of the world. And they're trying to keep Russia and China down. I think that's what they're doing. And I, I really don't think they're clearing out Ukraine for a new Israel. But, you know, anything's possible. Well, I just add a, a few elements. Tucker, for example, is calling out these indictments against Trump as being a manifestation of the establishment commitment to a war economy, to perpetual pointless wars that serve America not at all, but do keep Lockheed and General Dynamics and Raytheon pockets full, uh, that, that they really are less concerned with winners and losers than they are with keeping the wars going, and that in Tucker's view, it was back during the primaries, the Republican primaries, when Trump declared he would put an end to these pointless wars and called out the lies about weapons of mass destruction as a justification for going into Iraq. You and I know this old story very well, uh, that that sealed his fate and that they've been opposed to him ever since. And you've got to consider, I mean, there's massive opposition to Trump by the elites on both sides of the aisle. It's not just the Democrats, but it's Republican leaders like uh, Mitch McConnell, for example, who are opposed to Trump as well. Lindsey Graham opposed to Trump as well. A whole host of others. I do believe, yeah, the idea of a new Israel only works if NATO and the West prevails in Ukraine. I mean, let there be no doubt about it but that the Israelis are willing to fight to the last American soldier to provide them with a new homeland. And I'd further substantiate with observation by no less an eminence than Jacob Rothschild, who declared that Vladimir Putin is an enemy of the New World Order and that the New World Order cannot move forward without Ukraine. Well, that's an interesting analysis. So what do you think... Uh, about the electoral strategy of this lawfare against Trump. It has been suggested that it looks so bad, right? This bogus rape charge where they have to change the statute of limitations. And now this boxes gate where they're going after him for having these presidential papers, including some top secret papers. It's just, you know, the, the way it looks to Trump supporters in particular is that Trump is being persecuted, right? It's, it's so obvious. So how does that play out politically? Well, it rallies the base in favor of Trump. So it actually harms DeSantis and the other uh, opponents of Trump and helps Trump win the Republican primaries. But once he's won the primaries and the nomination, he's running against, well, I think the, the people orchestrating this are planning on Biden, uh, unless something you know wild and crazy happens to Biden. So I think 
there's there's this theory, you know, call it a conspiracy theory, if you will, that the reason that they're persecuting Trump with this totally bogus lawfare is to build up sympathy for him uh, and, and keep him in the headlines to ensure that he wins the nomination because they think that he would be easier to beat than a more conventional Republican like uh, DeSantis, who's got a trademark on the anti-woke crusade or, you know, they, whoever else that they, they think that Trump is so demonizable and has, he has high enough negatives that they can beat him in the general election. So do you think they might be doing that or are they just stupid in uh, helping keep Trump in the headlines and give him favorable publicity, especially on his base? Kevin, they are scared shitless of Donald Trump. He already waxed them in 2016. It was rigged for Hillary. I was documenting all the different ways it was rigged for Hillary. In 2020, Trump suffered a huge victory. I mean, it was monumental. It was only because of the Dominion machines and the drop boxes and bringing in truckloads or stopping the counting and an oddity so they could shift it up or to Biden. Biden was a non-entity then. He's a non-entity now. In fact, his situation now is overwhelmingly worse. He's committed so many gaps. He's so obviously incompetent. And now we have the head of Burisma revealing he has 17 phone calls between him and Hunter and Joe, 15 with Hunter, two with Joe. Uh, Biden's a, 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 a done. You can stick a fork in him. There's no possible way the Democrats can run with Biden. The problem they have is how to move him out. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been worried that her colleagues aren't rallying around impeaching Biden. But they want the Democrats to stew in their own juices. They're in a terrible pickle. Uh, Kamala Harris, who would assume the presidency if Biden were taken out, is a total airhead. I've never seen a more brainless figure in high office than she, who got there on her back in that position, beginning with Willie Brown way back when. It was Soros' son, Alex, who declared that she would be the Democrat vice president nominee. Uh, and it was outrageous at the time, just reflective of the extent to which Soros has control but none of this is legit. It's only because the Dominion voting machines, they were able to forestall the red wave that actually swept the nation in the 2022 election, where even James Carvel admitted uh, grudgingly that Trump, they said, had saved them 57 seats. What he really meant was Dominion had saved them 57 seats and a couple of Senate seats as well. They are in a real predicament. The last person they want to run against is Donald Trump. Here's an illustration, CBS poll. Trump's GOP primary lead grows to 38 points after indictment, after indictment. GOP governor Ron DeSantis getting in the race did not cut into former President Trump's support. Special Counsel Jack Smith's indictment has only furthered his lead in the field, according to the latest CBS News poll. CBS, needless to add, is not sympathetic to Trump. But stretched his lead now to 38 points over DeSantis and at least 57 points on the rest of the field. Also, when likely GOP primary voters were asked which candidates they would consider, Trump received overwhelming support of 75 percent. I mean, just staggering. DeSantis isn't cutting it. He 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 has looked good on many fronts, although I agree with you. It was shameless when he goes to Israel to sign an anti-Semitism bill in Florida. Something is terribly, terribly wrong. 
And while others comment that presidents have been kissing Israel's ass for decade upon decade upon decade, I think Trump is the only one they truly fear. And they're taking all these extraordinary actions. I mean, just start to sum it up. You had Russiagate, you had the first impeachment, you had the second impeachment, you had January 6th. Yeah, this phony rape thing, which is as ridiculous as it comes, Kevin. I mean, what woman, if she's raped, can not only remember the year, but the month, the week, the day, the hour, the minute it happened? I mean, this was ridiculous. What they have done is completely abandoned the rule of law to target this political figure who, above all others, threatens their well-being and their future. And they have compromised in every possible way. Paul Craig Roberts has called them out as a gang of criminals who are prosecuting this guy and that they're in violation of the Constitution, the rule of law that the Constitution defines America. And if we lose the Constitution, we lose America. I think he's got it right. They don't think Trump would be the easiest to beat by far. He would clean their clock, Kevin. So I take a very different position on this particular issue, and it's vital. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced of that. I think that you know, Trump has high negatives, and it's just not in the demographic that we inhabit. We go in our online bubble, and uh, Trump is not particularly hated by most of the people that we see, and he's very much liked by quite a few. But if you actually go out and like talk to people in Spring Green, Wisconsin, actually, where I uh, did a little campaigning for Ron Johnson, as it turned out, I'm not sure that was such a great idea, but anyway... Uh, it, there, there are lots of people who actually buy a lot of this Democrat propaganda stuff and whatever the mainstream media tells them. But anyway, how, how about this latest poll from The Economist and YouGov showing that RFK Jr. has this massive, crushing, landslide victory-type favorability rating edge over both Trump and Biden? I mean, when I first saw the headline, I didn't realize how huge his lead is, but he has a 19-point positive favorability rating, whereas Biden has a negative 9-point rating and Trump has a negative 10-point rating. So we're talking about a, an overall 30-point favorability rating lead for RFK Jr., the guy that the mainstream media has been demonizing relentlessly as an anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist who thinks the CIA killed his father and uncle but doesn't have the guts to say that the Zionists were behind it. In any case, uh, that's isn't that kind of crazy that, that RFK Jr. is so far out ahead in the key electability rating? Well, I, 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 it, 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 I would be open to the possibility that that poll might not be rigged, but I'm telling you, it's a... It's a Kennedy nostalgia phenomenon, Kevin, that is going to rapidly wear off. Uh, RFK Jr. has only basically had favorable press. You and I are both no, what? already... What? No, no, no. Stop there. He's only had favorable press? RFK Jr.? I said mostly. I said mostly. I don't... Uh, uh, RFK is not going to go anywhere, I guarantee you. He's not even viable as a vice presidential candidate, though initially I thought he'd make a great supplement to Trump, and then immediately began denouncing Trump and saying there was no way he would run with Trump, which didn't, of course, stand tall with me. I love all of his work on the vaccine attacking Fauci. My God, is there a more deserving target 
ever. No, there isn't. But his Zionist kowtowing is simply appalling, and there are other aspects of his background that will emerge. I mean, it's before he gets a severe going over, I think, in competition. Now, the Democrats, if they were smart, would probably rally around uh, RFK Jr. That would be a good thing for them to do because he's overwhelmingly better, more popular, and less corrupt than Joe Biden family because the Biden crime family is going down. What they want to do, Kevin, is bring in Gavin Newsom. He is their odds-on preferred candidate for 2024. I think initially they wanted him to run with uh, Michelle, but I think there's been too much out there about Michelle being a tranny, and it's all too convincing. If you look at her dancing on Ellen DeGeneres, you can see she's got a package most women do not have. I mean, it's undeniable. I do believe, in fact, that it's Brock and Michelle who are behind much of this transgender movement because they are such an odd couple, to put it very politely, that they want to feel more comfortable by normalizing all kinds of weird transsexual phenomena across the land. But there's a delayed reaction taking place here. Bud Light and uh, Target and others are now suffering the consequences, and they're very massive. Major League Baseball is just quietly ceased requiring teams to wear pride symbols on their uniforms. Uh, a few had held out, but it was a prevalent up till now, but they're seeing the writing on the wall. There's a massive reaction coming across the nation, including especially parents have been so upset by the schools abusing their role in treating the children as long as they belong to the schools and even Biden has been making stupid statements to the effect that there are children rather than your children as the parents should not have their own kids are raised. I know that raises hackles on my back and yours as well. We who are parents recognize the threat this represents. So I think that RFK Jr., is is faring as well as he will ever at the moment. Uh, and, and But I'm telling you, it's a temporary phenomenon. It's going to subside, even though, of course, I was tremendously devoted to his father, who I think maybe had even more backbone than his uncle, but I also would have gladly given my life for either. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm surprised that RFK Jr. has that kind of yeah, a 30-point favorability lead. That's crazy. I mean, a guy who has been demonized. I don't agree with you that he's gotten mostly favorable coverage, although I think it's starting to get a little more favorable. It's interesting that he kowtows to the Zionists at exactly the same moment that a bunch of Silicon Valley billionaires line up behind him, and then this poll comes out, putting him way up in the lead. It does sort of make you wonder uh, but Yeah, I suspect it might very well turn out. I mean, since you're presenting the poll, that it may have been a rigged poll, but the timing is incredible. Yeah, he's speaking favorably of Israel and the U.S. eternal commitment to Israel. Uh, remember, as you and I both well know, the media is completely controlled by Israel. I have this, you know, a uh, 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 hundred executives from CNN, every one of whom is a dual U.S. Israeli citizen, 100 execs from CNN, from the NBC, every one of whom is a dual U.S. Israeli citizen, 100 execs from the New York Times, every one of whom is a dual U.S. Israeli citizen. 
they want a pro-Israel guy. And I think that's why both DeSantis and uh, Bobby Jr. are benefiting. And Trump, I think they have grown weary of Trump. They no longer trust Trump. And I think Trump is his own man, and he knows enough to gut the deep state. He knows how to do it. He's got a plan. Check out Schedule F. They they don't think he's the weakest. They think he's by far the strongest. This is why in Georgia, Kevin, get this, in Georgia, even though their own studies show that their Dominion voting machines are vulnerable to hacking, they're not going to change or patch them until after the 2024 election. In other words, they want one more round of stolen elections in Georgia using those machines. They're not going to give them up until that happens. Well, all of this is sort of a recipe for more uh, social unrest. And speaking of that, uh, I'm going to be doing False Flag Weekly News tomorrow with John Carter of the Postcards from Barsoom Substack, which I recommend. And he turned me on to the work of Peter Turchin. I'd heard of him vaguely before, but I went and got my grubby little fingers on a review copy of his new book, End Times. And it's uh, it's really interesting stuff. I mean, he thinks he's discovered the kind of the secret to the rise and fall of, of nations and to some extent civilizations in a combination of sort of you know economics, demographics, and so on that involves, um, to really kind of oversimplify it, the key role of the overproduction of elites, right? Too many lawyers, too many people being produced to, you know, to fight for too many genuinely elite positions and, you know, the high, you know, the six-figure income positions where you really have some power and are making a difference. Well, everybody wants that. Hardly anybody gets it. And too many candidates for that are being produced. At the same time, the, the, the poor are getting poorer. The rich are getting massively richer. That's been going on since at least about 1970. And that and other factors lead to increasing polarization and, uh, ultimately, when this happens, uh, countries typically fall apart in chaos and conflict and, you know, what the Muslims call f- uh, fitna. So I wondered if you're uh, familiar with the work of Peter Turchin and whether you think that the possibility of really severe social unrest, possibly even civil war, is something we should be concerned about. Well, I do, but not for the same reasons he is outlining as you're sketching them here. I do think the massive influx of migrants. I mean, look, New York City is in a predicament. The mayor is even suggesting that private households might want to take migrants into their home. The question is, where do you put these millions of illegals flooding into the country? And Kevin, I think the agenda is to bring in minimally 100 million illegals. Remember now, the U.S. population, about 330 mil, about 30 mil of whom are already illegals. They want to bring a minimum of 100 million. And I gather there's a U.N. plan to bring in 600 million. Well, where are they going to live? Wait, wait a minute. What's the evidence for the U.N. plan to bring in 600 million illegals? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll seek for the very source, Kevin, for you, which I don't have at my fingertips. And I said, I've, you know, been told, and but I don't have the nail. But you can see that a hundred million is a conservative estimate given what's going on. And with all the social unrest being generated by, you know, not enforcing laws, once you stop enforcing laws against shoplifting, it grows and and it's very difficult to put that veneer of civilization back on. Remember, the Democrats began defunding the police way back when with the phony George Floyd 
death in Minneapolis. We had a whole summer of lawlessness, of looting, of rioting and arson, which was all treated as mostly peaceful by the prominent Democrats on the scene. We have all those statues being down, the continued destruction of our culture. They're changing the names of schools because individuals for whom they were named are supposed to have held slaves. You got absurd plans for reparations in California. Could be, you know, five million or more to every black resident of California, even though California was never a slave state. Its owners, its taxpayers never owned any slaves, and the participants who would be beneficiaries were never subjected to slavery. I mean, look, the country has gone stark raising mad. It's really literally the case that you have the lunatics running the asylum. The recipe for social unrest is everywhere, Kevin. It does not require a special theory. We can see the signs, and my concern is that once there's a outbreak of any kind of violence over any of these issues that martial law will be imposed and they're going to use that predicate of domestic terrorism to impose a reign of terror. This is my projection of what we are going to see in the relatively near future. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And I I also think that we're likely to see escalation of war. I mean, I would like to think that they're smart enough to cut their losses in Ukraine. But the problem is that Losing in Ukraine really isn't an option for the uh, masters of the universe in the West any more than it's an option for uh, for Moscow, because either way it's existential. You know, even, you know, Russia will fight to the end, even go to nuclear weapons, and they're they're now telling us openly they're getting pretty close to that uh, if it becomes existential for them, and they might even preemptively uh, do something before that. Uh, we're now hearing, but. For the West, or the so-called West, I'm talking about the bankster, Western bankster empire. I'll be talking more about that in the second hour with Mujahid Cameron, who's written great analyses of who really runs the West. And, of course, it's the usury banksters. Uh, but those people are going to lose the world if they lose this war. So I see an acceleration of this World War III that I think we're already in. And a lot of this other stuff is related to that. And I think that when they clamp down on the population here, maybe through the pretext of unrest, the purpose of that will be to implement a very, very strict wartime regimen comparable to what we had in World Wars One and Two. I invite everyone to watch the film, The Czechist, which was released in 1991, as to what happened in Russia after the Bolshevik Revolution and the Tsar's family was wiped out. Citizens who weren't sufficiently enthusiastic were subject to summary judgment and lined up and shot. I mean, it was real simple, very straightforward, and occurred on a massive scale. So if you don't have a rainbow flag in front of your house, they'll they'll line you up and shoot you. I I can almost (laughs) see that. (laughs) I do. Russia cannot lose, meaning Russia has such superior military equipment and technology, Kevin. Russia cannot lose. They have the best anti-missile missiles, the best anti-ship missiles, the best anti-submarine torpedoes. The Satan II has 15 independently targetable warheads. A single one could take out the entire country of France. Something we haven't addressed, however, but enormous in the background, is that all the sanctions on Russia have backfired. BRICS is stronger. The rubble's at a high point. It's the Western economies that have suffered. We even have the potential of France going to BRICS, Iran joining BRICS. I long have felt that a Russia, Iran, uh, China 
a defensive pact was indispensable to deal with NATO and the West. All that has come to pass. We're in a terrible situation. And let me just say, the American people are awakening to the two tiers of justice. Here's Ed Wokeness tweeting, Hunter Biden, zero indictments. The big guy, zero indictments. The Clintons, zero indictments. Epstein client, zero indictments. Anthony Fauci, zero indictment. DC inside traders, zero indictments. Iraq war criminals, zero indictments. COVID criminals, zero indictments. They're going all out for the guy they fear the most. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Jim Fetzer. I appreciate your uh, very provocative analysis. Keep up the great work, and God bless. Thank you, Kevin. That's Jim Fetzer. And uh, you can find your the links to his work by way of the radio blog for tonight. Just go to truthjihad.com and click on the radio link. We'll be back in the next hour with Mujahid Cameron, physics professor, talking about the banksters who secretly rule the world. Go to freedomslips.com and we'll be right back after this message.